Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Hey, all. Um, Jonathan Williams. I get to preach here sometimes. It's always my pleasure, and I'm so glad I get to preach for you today. As many of you are out camping right now, I hope you're having the best time ever and aren't getting uh, too eaten up by bugs and stuff like that. Um, but he, I, I get a chance to kind of preach on anything I want to preach on today, which is really nice. And I decided to preach on a really, really popular passage, one that I think we all know. But before I get to that, I'm going to tell you a question I get asked a lot. I get asked this question all the time. And it goes something like this. People say, Jonathan, do you still believe in the Bible? And I know exactly what they're talking about. They're not asking if I believe in the Bible. They're asking if I believe in the Bible as being the basic instructions before leaving earth. That's a nice acronym, right? They're talking about like, um, do you still believe like the Bible is like this useful tool for how to guide your life? And do you still follow it? And do you still believe that all the rules and everything written in it are, are rules that still need to follow? Do you believe in the boundaries of the Bible? And do you believe uh, that the Bible um, can tell us exactly the instructions we need to live well? And I tell people, I, I still believe in the Bible, but I tell people I look at it really differently now. I still think it's needed. And I'll tell you why I think it's needed. In fact, I'm not going to tell you why. My friend Josh Scott says this well, so I'm just going to quote him. He says this. He says, now I see the Bible as a launching point. It's part of a journey that's headed somewhere. And what we find in the pages of Scripture is our ancestors wrestling with that somewhere and how to get there from their own time and place. The Bible is not a limitation but a catalyst, always headed in a more loving direction. I love that. Because I agree, like it's giving us what people, it's giving us a chance to see people who wrestled and who struggled with who God was and what God meant and what love meant uh, in a time uh, in their own culture, in their own context, and in their own tradition. Now, I think that is incredibly important, what I just said, in their own context, culture, and tradition. Too often we take the Bible and we, we use these words and we use them as like an all-time kind of our own interpretation. And in doing so, what we have done is we have started wars. We've killed people by taking scripture out of context and culture and tradition. We've endorsed slavery by taking scripture out of context and culture and tradition. We've overturned Roe v. Wade because of misinterpreting culture and context and tradition, right? We've twisted things all the time. It's sort of like a bad game of telephone. You ever play telephone? Like it's, like, it's like you start off saying, like, ice cream is delicious, 
And then by the time you get to the end, somebody's like, I think it was Sally's pregnant. And you're like, that wasn't it at all. It's so far off and so far removed. And that's what happens when we take that context, that culture and tradition out of our Bible. So what I want to do today is I want to go back into that culture, context, and tradition. And I want to do what Josh Scott says, and let's find the more loving way here that Scripture is actually moving and operating and the way the Holy Spirit's working. And I want to do it by talking about John 14.6. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of you know John 14.6. Many of us Christians use John 14.6 as a way to tell people that they need to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you are, have been on the other side of that where people have told you, oh, you're going to hell because you don't believe in John 14.6. And what is John 14.6? It goes like this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's one question I get way more often than about whether or not I still believe in the Bible. And this question is, Jonathan, do you think that people who aren't Christians are going to go to hell? I get that question constantly. Probably it's the biggest question. And, and, and then I'll say, you know, this is really tricky. And they'll say, well, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What do you think about that? So I'm going to tell you what I think about that. And it goes like this. Here's what we need to do first. If we're going to adopt context, culture, and tradition, we've got to look at the passage again. And right off the bat, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Which means that Jesus is being asked a question. What question is Jesus being asked here? This is probably a good place for us to start. Is Jesus being asked whether, you know, atheists and Muslims and Buddhists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals are going to heaven? Is like that what Jesus is being asked here? Is Jesus being asked, you know... Questions about salvation, is Jesus being asked, like, why is, I don't know, why is Big Bang Theory such a good TV show? Because it really sucks. Or why do so many people watch it? Because it really sucks. What's Jesus being asked? All right, well, let's go to the question. And here is the question. The question is, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This is also not very helpful. <laughs> This does not help us. So now we're going to have to do some hard work. We're going to have to keep going backwards in order to get to why Jesus answered this question this way. So let's go backwards to another chapter, John 13. And what we find out in John 13 is that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Now this is kind of a big deal, y'all, because leaders never wash other people's feet. Not in those days, and usually it doesn't happen now. Why? So already... The disciples are kind of uneasy. Why is Jesus doing this? This feels mysterious. It feels odd. This never happens. And then they have this meal. And they eat this meal together. And Jesus says at the meal, hey, guess what? One of you are going to betray me. And the other one is going to deny me. And they're like, what, like, what are you even talking about? One of us is going to betray you. The other is going to deny you. That doesn't make any sense to me. You're washing our feet. You're saying we're going to betray you and deny you. And then Jesus says this. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, isn't hindsight wonderful? Because we're all sitting here going, you idiots, we know where Jesus is going. He's going to be arrested, and he's going to be tried, and he's going to be put on a cross, he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. Can't you see that? No, they couldn't see that. They don't know they're living in the Bible times. They don't know they're going to be in a Bible. They can't see that at all. 
So now, let's rewind. The disciples have had their feet washed, odd. They've been told they're going to betray and deny Jesus. Again, worrisome. And now they're being told that Jesus is leaving, and where Jesus is going, they cannot go. Now, let's give ourselves a little context here, okay? Let's say you have this really good friend. This really good friend says to you, hey, I want you to move with me to Sacramento, California, okay? And because I have this great startup idea, and it's 100% foolproof, it is not going to fail, and I want you to be my COO. And you're like, whoa, this is big, like, this is life-changing. So what do you do? You talk it over with your loved ones, and you finally decide, wow, I'm going to move. I'm going to go to Sacramento with my friend and be a part of this startup. And you move to Sacramento, and you uproot your family if you have family, but you uproot a lot of what you know and a lot of what you love, and you leave a job, and you start a new job, and you're working 80 hours a week, and guess what? It is going really well. Like, the startup's, like, booming, and you're making a ton of money. Things are working out the way they need to work. And all of a sudden, your friend comes up to you one day and says, Hey, I'm leaving. And you go, what do you mean you're leaving? You just told me to move here to Sacramento, California to help you. Where are you going? And they go, hey, I can't tell you where I'm going. And you're like, wait, wait, hold on. I gave up everything to come here, and you say you can't tell me where you're going? And then they say, well, it doesn't matter anyway because, like, you're probably just going to hate this startup and, and leave it and, you know, stab me in the back. And you're like, What? No, I gave up my entire life to be here with you. I'm here with you. Things are going well. What are you talking about? If we can understand that context, then we can understand how the disciples feel. Because they gave up everything to go be with Jesus. And they followed Jesus around. And they traveled with Jesus. And frankly speaking, they drew big crowds. And things were going pretty well. And now they can't go anymore with Jesus. They gave up everything to be with him. This is the tension that we have in this passage, right? And so, you know, you can see why we might, like, freak out. And you could see why people might freak out. And you could see why the disciples would freak out. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, um, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Now, that might sound confusing to us, but culture and context and tradition matter. This would have been good news for the disciples. It probably would have put them at ease. Here's why. Because back in those days when you got engaged, what would happen is there was no wedding date that was set. You literally, the, 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 the groom-to-be, literally would go back to his father's house and he would start building something, he would start building something called an insula. An insula was a really nice room. And when uh, you built this insula, you had to make sure it was perfect and it was great and it was wonderful and it was set to have a family and to raise a family because that's where you're going to live. And the father would come and say, hey, this insula, this room is ready to go. Start telling all the townspeople to prepare for this wedding. Go get your bride and she's going to move into this room. And if you have a lot of sons, well, then you have many rooms. So what Jesus is saying is like, guys, don't stress I'm going back to my father's. I'm preparing an insula for you. I'm going to call you back. You're all going to have a place to live. It's okay. They're taking this very literally. We don't take it literally because we know the story. We know what happens. They don't. So they're like, okay, Jesus is going somewhere. He's building the insulas for us. There's going to be a bit of an intimate relationship. That sounds great, but at least I know where I'm going to live. I know where I'm going to go. Right? So that's what happens. Now, 
It doesn't matter that our interpretation of Scripture means that, that usually in the, you know, when we're in this, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a room for you, he's talking about the kingdom of God. That, that part doesn't matter because the disciples, again, they don't know this yet. So now let's get back to Thomas's question. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is asking a very literal question here. Hey, where are you building this house? I need to get my affairs in order so I can move to this place. I need to do that. This has been a really odd day. Can you at least give us that? Now, can we agree? And I'm going to stop right here, right? Thomas is asking a lot of questions. He's saying, like, hey, why do you have to leave? Like, is Peter going to deny you? Why is Peter going to deny you? Like, give us directions. Can you give me a concrete answer? Can we all agree that Thomas is not taking this moment to say, hey, Jesus, real quick, do you think Muslims or Buddhists or Presbyterians or Pentecostals are going to go to heaven or not? Like, what do you think? Like, he's not. He's asking a very literal, where am I going to go live, Jesus? What's going to happen? Do we see that that wasn't the question at all? And in fact, because these are Jewish guys, they don't care very much for an afterlife at all. Okay, when they talk about the, the good news that is to come, they're talking about a new nation being established. They're talking about a Messiah who comes into power, and they're still thinking that's what Jesus is going to do. They, they're not concerned with an afterlife. They're concerned with just having a way to live. <sighs> the fact that we use this passage to condemn others to hell is arrogant, and it is blindly arrogant. Context, culture, tradition matters. And we want this to be a more loving way in which we operate. So what does a loving way look like in this context? What do you think Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? There's a couple different thoughts. I think in one way he's saying, hey, I am building this kingdom of God. Trust me that this kingdom of God is coming. Trust me that the way I'm living is the way that we're going to want to live forever because the way I live is pretty inclusive and, and it's pretty uh, gracious and it's pretty loving and, and basically it's all the things that make this world what it should be. I like what Brian McLaren says as well. He says, Jesus is simply saying, hey, you don't have to understand this. Just trust. Don't look for a way apart from me. Don't look for a route or a destination. Don't look for a technique or a system of thought. I'm not trying to give you information or instructions. I just want you to trust that I am doing the right thing here. This passage is a leap of faith. This passage is ushering in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with who's in or who's out. Now, in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell down. I was really young when it happened, but I remember seeing it on the news. And um, it was this big event, and East Germany and West Germany were united, and communism had failed, and the world looked on and cheered and loved it, and it was amazing. And eight years later, in 1997, a woman named Sheena Eyinger, she did a big survey of all people who lived in the former East Germany. What did she find out? She found out, you ready for this? That 97% of the people who lived in former East Germany, who now had quote-unquote freedom, were less happy. 97%. Found out that 90% of the people she surveyed, 90% wanted to go back to some form of their East German government. 90%. And that 25% wanted the Berlin Wall back up. Now why? Well, 
the biggest reason, the overwhelming reason was because it provided structure. Provided structure. It gave them a clear idea of where they stood in the world. In fact, one person said, I can't go to supermarkets because I get paralyzed by the choices. I want to go back to where we all had the same apartment, the same food rations, the same furniture, and everything else. That's what I want. When we kind of move into this progressive Christianity, you know what we lose? We lose structure. We lose the boundaries. You know, life is a lot simpler when we could tell people that you're in and these people over here are out. Life is a lot easier when we get the chance to do that. But see, this is not what our Christianity is about. It's not about basic instructions before leaving earth. Our Christianity is about finding ways to be more inclusive and loving and Jesus-like while we're here, ushering in the kingdom of heaven. And so what we have to stop doing is creating those boundaries. And yeah, it might make us feel a little anxious. It might make us feel a little panicked. And maybe we want to go back to the times where this was a lot simpler. But the truth of the matter is this. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. The Father is in me, and it's not about structure or certainty anymore. It's not about a place. It's not about a certain group of people. It's now about knowing that I am the way, the truth, and the light. And that means continuing to walk in my footsteps. What were my deeds? What were my character? It's one of, is it, I'm sorry, what are my deeds? What are my character? Is it one of exclusion that has kept people out for not believing the right thing? Or is my character always compassion and healing and acceptance and forgiveness and inclusion and love from beginning to end? And if we can see that, then why would we ever think that there's an in or an out and that Jesus might be at that very moment saying you're either in or you're out? What Jesus is saying is trust me to usher in a new kingdom that is going to bring God's kingdom to this place that is the best not only for y'all, but the best for humanity. So, who gets into heaven and who doesn't? I think we're not asking the right question. Because the truth is we're never going to know. But I read a story a few years back, and the story was about a man who caught his son stealing. He caught his son stealing, and he put his son's hand to a candle, and he burnt the palm of his hand. And the police were called, and it was awful, and the man got arrested, and it was just this terrible thing. Like, how could, a, how could this father be so cruel to his son that, that he would do that? Without seeing the irony that millions of us, millions of us believe that if we don't get it right, that we have a God who's not going to burn our hand but throw our whole body into hell. And to me, that's the antithesis of Jesus. To me, that doesn't look like love at all. To me, that looks like a really small God. But the truth of the matter is I don't have boundaries or structures for you. The truth of the matter is I don't know. The truth of the matter is whether or not we still have questions, there's one thing that we get to do. We get to follow Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, not because we're going somewhere, but because we're ushering goodness and blessing and mercy and universal love and peace, just like it is in heaven. So to that, I say, amen and amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. 
you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.